Good morning, Chapel Hill. Thank you, Matt, for that. What a delight it is to bring that kind of song, those kind of words, that, that genuine, heartfelt praise um, together as a church. What a great thing for us to do. Um, before we dive into the word this morning, I want to add just a few words about Wednesday nights, because I'm really excited that Wednesday night clubs are starting up again. I am. There is just something special about Wednesday nights. It's different, and I want to explain how I see it as different so that um, we kind of have that, that common understanding of what it is, because Wednesday nights are not just one more activity that you have to do because you go to this church and you're expected to be there on Wednesday nights. That's not why we do this. This isn't just one more thing that's the same as what we do on Sunday mornings. And so why would we go? Because it's the same thing all over again and I'm going to have to drag my kids out and drag them back in. Why do we do Wednesday nights? See, there's something a little bit different about Wednesday nights. We have opportunities here on Sunday morning to dig deeply into the Word together. And we provide classes on Sunday mornings for everybody, for all ages, where the Bible is opened up for us and, and we study and we get together. And those kinds of things do happen on Wednesday nights, but there's more to Wednesday nights. Wednesday night is, I think, one of the greatest things that we do in terms of outreach. We have in here, if you haven't seen it, a multitude of kids that come on Wednesday nights that are not here. Their families aren't here on Sunday mornings. From the community, we have opportunities on Wednesday nights for kids to bring their friends to come together and they're in a fun, high energy environment and they're hearing about the truth. They're hearing from the Bible, they're hearing about Jesus and it is a marvelous opportunity for us to reach out to the people around us and bring them in into that kind of context, into that kind of environment. We have a lot of fun on Wednesday nights, we do. And so I love when it gets fired up again. And I love having stories unfold every year where some kid in our congregation had the courage to invite one of their friends to a Wednesday night gathering. And that kid started coming and stayed coming and was coming regularly. And now, lo and behold, their family is attending on Sunday mornings. We have those stories here, Chapel Hill. And it's a beautiful thing to see. It's a beautiful thing to watch that unfold, to watch these relationships grow, to watch kids have a chance to hear about Jesus when they wouldn't any other time. I love Wednesday nights. I'm excited about this starting up again. Um, I am making the, the move uh, into middle school with my boys. I've been, I've been one of the small group leaders in what we call G-Force, our third to fifth grade group, um, for the last few years. And now I'm moving up into middle school or back into middle school. So last Sunday we talked about 10 years here. Well, 10 years ago, that's where I started was in youth ministry. And, and I just loved it. I love Wednesday night wow i love being with those kids and all that goes on there it's it it's fantastic and i i can't wait i can't wait to dive back into it and there's there are new leaders joining the wednesday night group the middle school group and and like scott said we we need more leaders for the kids for the younger kids we need those and he mentioned the meal the wednesday night meal Okay, so a Wednesday night meal is like super convenient because if you want to get your family here, but it's going to take a lot of energy for you to go home after work, get everybody together, have dinner, and then get over here. We're trying to make it easier on everybody by providing a meal right here, a cheap meal. 
And so it's there. And not only that, but remember what I was talking about, about the, Wednesday, the purpose of Wednesday nights. We have all kinds of opportunity there to connect with families. And so families, parents that are bringing their kids for Wednesday night clubs will often come and join in on the meal. And we get to meet families from outside this church. We have different classes that happen for adults also here on Wednesday nights. Um, We've been having things like Financial Peace University that happens here. And those that are attending Financial Peace from outside the church, we've often seen them come for the meal because it's convenient for them too. And then we have a chance for Chapel Hill people to meet other people and welcome them into this family. So are you kind of getting a little bit of the vision for Wednesday night? We want to keep this thing going. We don't want to cancel our Wednesday night meal because we don't have anyone to do it. We want to keep this going. We want to expand it. We want to expand the impact that we as a church have. And Wednesday nights are a tremendous opportunity for us to do it. So come, participate. Get to know what your kids are doing here. There's some great stuff happening here on Wednesday nights. Um, Help out if you can. We could use some help. All right, last week, uh, we talked about 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. We've been working our way through the book of 1 Peter, and now we're going into a section of Peter's letter that has to do with suffering. And so we're going to hear his words to a suffering church, to a church that was being persecuted harshly by the culture around them because they were followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to hear what he says to that church. And so we're calling this section Walking Jesus Road. And it's a long section. And we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, 13, all the way through chapter 4, verse 19, the end of chapter 4. Because Peter uses all that space in his letter to talk about suffering, to talk to the church who's hurting, and talk to them about suffering. And it's going to be full of meaning for us. There's so much in there that will encourage us. Last week, we looked at chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, where Peter talks about loving life and seeing good days, and he talks about seeking peace and pursuing it, and he talks about doing good and not returning evil for evil, but always blessing and returning good for evil. Great, great words in there. And we use this visual that I, that I use, these concentric circles that talked about um, kind of where these things play out. I was looking at that passage from the inside out. And right at the core, at the core of what we were doing is this desire to love life and to see good days. And that leads to seeking peace, which leads to doing things that create peace. And as you see the effect that these good things have, you you deepen your desire to love life and see good days. It's this beautiful cycle that happens. It goes on and on. Core desires lead to Christ-like behavior. But Christ-like behavior also leads to honorable, pure, godly core desires that match up with God's desire for our lives. And God's desire for our lives is for us to love life and to see good days as he, as God defines what good days look like. That was 1 Peter 3, 9 to 12. And this morning we're going to look at the next verse, verse 13. And before we do, let's just take a moment and pray. I want to lift up our, our Wednesday nights as we get started and this new passage that we're digging into in 1 Peter. Let's pray together. 
Father, I do thank you for the love that you have for this church and the love that you have for our community, for our neighborhoods. Thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunity to shine light in the darkness. Thank you for um, all of the effort that goes into our, our Wednesday nights here in creating this, this great environment where people can come, where kids can come, and they can, they can, they can build friendships, they can have fun, they can, they can learn. They can learn about Jesus together. God, as we get started on our Wednesday nights now, I just ask that you would bless every aspect of this. Um, Father, give us the, the leaders that we need, the servants that we need, um, so that we can continue to expand what happens here. Thank you for what you've done through families here, for the way that you've brought that together. How you've brought, you're bringing us new kids all the time, and kids are staying, and then their families are starting to get engaged. And I just thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that as we get started this week, you would just bless it. That we would see the right people here, that you would bring more and more people in these doors, that more and more kids would be exposed to your love, your family, your word. Father, as we uh, dig in now to a new part of this letter that Peter wrote, God, will you just open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts, help us to hear and see what you have for us. God, your desire is transformation. You wanted to, you wanted to transform the church back then. So that they could face all of the persecution around them and be a bright and shining light in the midst of that. And God, I know you're calling us to the same thing, to be a bright, shining light in the midst of all that this world is throwing at us. So God, teach us, grow us, transform us more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this and commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. This will be up on the screen for just about the whole time, so it's just one verse that we're going to look at again today. Um, this is what it says. Peter writes, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Last week we looked at our passage from the inside out. We looked at the core of that passage and worked our way out to what else was being said in those four verses. This week, what I want to do, um, just to mix things up a little bit, I guess, is take two halves of this verse and flip them. And so I want to start with the last half of the verse and put that at the beginning. I want to treat this more like an if-then statement, because this is really what it is. It's an if-then statement. So let's read it that way for what it is. Then it would say, if you are zealous for what is good, who is there to harm you? If you're zealous for what is good, who is there to harm you? First part of the statement is obviously a conditional phrase. If. If you are zealous for what is good. If. There's an if. Okay, so what does the zealous thing mean? Because it's not something that we just, doesn't just roll off our tongues. We don't use that word a lot. Zealous. Is, this is what it means. If you eagerly desire Good things. If you eagerly desire what is good, if you contend for what is good, but that in the boxing context, the contender wants the prize, wants the championship, wants the belt. He contends for something. He fights for something. He goes after something. 
And that's the context of this verse. That's the the passion behind this verse. If you contend for what is good, if you're zealous for what is good, there's action suggested here. Going after what is good. If you desire a life of generosity, unselfishness, kindness, and thoughtfulness towards others, these are the kinds of good things that we're to eagerly desire and go after, pursue, be zealous for. And this definitely suggests an intensity, an intentionality in our desire. This is not a passive kind of desire. This isn't some wishful longing out there. It's not what this kind of desire is. It's a going after desire. It's a pursuit. And we don't use that word zealous much anymore. But this word came with some energy at the time when Peter wrote this. Um, We've seen the word zealous or zealot in the scriptures. And one of the primary religious groups that existed at the time that Peter wrote this was the zealots. And the zealots were very zealous. They were very passionate about what they were doing. And their cause was to free the Jewish people from the tyranny of the Roman government. So they worked with all of their energy, with all of their passion, to try and overthrow the rule of the Roman government at that time. They did all kinds of crazy things. They would do anything. They would use whatever means necessary. They would lie. They would steal. They would even assassinate people in order to see their cause fulfilled. They were zealous. They gave their lives for the cause that they had. And Peter got a really close-up look at this, because if you remember, when the 12 disciples were chosen, one of them was a man named Simon the Zealot. He was one of them. He was one of the zealots. And Jesus gave him the opportunity to be transformed, and Peter got to see all of this close-up, and so he's writing this in very strong language. If you are zealous for what is good... If you're zealous for what is good. Um, I'm going to declare this no assumptions day. Okay. No, of course I'm doing good assumptions right now. Throw them away. We're not going to make that assumption today. Um, We all do good things. Sometimes. We're polite. Because we're Minnesotans. We provide good opportunities for our kids. Because we're good parents. We give to various charities. We attend good events. We do good religious things. We hang out with good people. We honor everyone, don't we? We are good people. We are good people. But Peter is taking this a step further in this short verse. Peter doesn't, doesn't write, if you do good things. He doesn't write that. He writes, if you are zealous for what is good, that's different. If you are zealous for what is good, if you contend for what is good, if you passionately pursue what is good, if you're zealous for a life of generosity, unselfishness, kindness, and thoughtfulness towards others, if if you are proactively moving towards opportunities to do good and to be good, if you have the compassion to do good and you create the capacity to do what is good. I heard at a, at a conference this week, heard a guy talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. 
and he was talking about economics in our faith. And he brought up the point that not only did the Good Samaritan have compassion to move towards the man who had been beaten and robbed, but he also had the resources. He had the capacity to take him to an inn and to pay for everything that needed to be done for this guy to be healed. And so there was a principle in there of creating the capacity also to do what is good. Peter's calling the church here to be zealots for what is noble and generous and unselfish and merciful and kind and Christ-like. Like the zealots pursued their cause. He says, church, pursue your cause. Pursue what is good. Now, obviously, this isn't the first or only time in the Bible that we're directed to do good things. Let me give you a few examples. Psalm 37, 3 tells us to trust in the Lord and do good. Proverbs 3.27 instructs us to not withhold good. 2 Corinthians 9.8 declares that God's grace is sufficient for our good work, for the good work that he has for us. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 instructs us to do good to everyone. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul points out that we were created for good works. In 1 Thessalonians 5.15, again, Paul says, do good to everyone. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 18, we're instructed to be rich in good works. In Titus 2.7, Paul says, show yourself to be a model of good work. In Titus 3.14, imagine this, Paul says, Paul refers to us as a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Who does Paul sound like? Like Peter. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good. Third John, verse 11. Imitate good. It's all over the word. It's everywhere. And then, once again, listen to how aligned Peter's writing is with Paul's. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 14 to 21. Note how similar this is to last week's message and this week's verse. Romans 12, 14 to 21, Paul writes this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How deeply do Peter and Paul agree here? It's almost like they've been influenced by the same person. So it's no surprise then that Paul in Titus 2.14 and Peter... In 1 Peter 3.13, both mention being zealous for what is good. This is about more than just doing good things from time to time. This is something inside us. So what happens if we think for a moment about what we're zealous for? Is what is good at the top of any of our lists? 
Are we more zealous for compassion than we are for comfort? Are we more zealous for generosity than we are for security? Are we more zealous for peace than we are for prosperity? Are we more zealous for justice than we are for safety? Are we more zealous for kindness than we are for pleasure? Are we more zealous for encouragement than we are for judgment? Are we more zealous for giving than we are for getting? Are we more zealous for restoration than we are for privacy? Are we more zealous for God's kingdom than we are for our own kingdom? This is the challenge that Peter puts before us in this verse. Okay, maybe we've driven the if part of this verse home enough. The then part of this verse is just as critical and may even be more convincing than the if part. Peter writes, now who is there to harm you? Now who is there to harm you? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Harm. He uses the word harm. Who is there to bring evil against you? Who is there to bring the effects of evil to pass in your life? Looking back at other uses uh, of this word harm, where it's used, different contexts that it's used in, going back to Acts and to the life of Peter in the first church, um, it's there and it has some very, very strong context to it. Um, in Acts 7 verse 6, it's used in the context of enslavement and affliction. It's strong. In Acts 7, uh, referring to Moses' story, going way back, it refers to the, the killing of babies at the time that Moses was born. A strong context. In Acts 12, it refers to Herod laying violent hands on believers, on followers of Christ. In Acts 14, it's used in the context of poisoning minds against the disciples. Against followers of Christ. In Acts 18, it's used to refer to uh, some general attacks that were taking place on Paul at that time. This word harm is strong. It comes with a, with a very uh, ominous feeling to it. So what emotion then does the word harm create in us? Fear, right? Fear. We don't want anyone to harm us. So this verse should really catch our attention. Who is there to harm you, Peter says. Okay, so what are we afraid of? And never mind things like spiders. We won't get into that. We're afraid of physical harm, aren't we? Illness, injury. We're afraid that something is going to happen to us physically. We're afraid of financial insecurity. Of what might happen to us financially. Um, this Weekend, we were watching a show that we watch with our kids. It's called Innovation Nation. And it's set at the, at the Ford Museum History Center out in Detroit. And, and, uh, and they were doing this feature on the auto industry. And they were talking about one particular plant in Detroit where trucks are made. They make the F-150s there. And so they were talking about this plant and the technology that's there and how impressive that is. And the kind of innovation that has taken it from where it was to where it is. And the reality that came out of this, and, and they didn't highlight this, this just kind of went by in passing, and I was really struck by it. The reality was this. This plant 
back when it was first established and started really putting out trucks for Ford, employed 100,000 people. Today, because of innovation and robotics, that same plant employs 4,500 people. That's one plant for one motor company. So you can imagine what's happened to Detroit. And we have that fear. What's going to happen to us? What happens when my company is downsized and I'm let go of? What happens when the economy plummets and there aren't jobs available anymore? What happens then? We have this fear of financial insecurity. What else are we afraid of? We're afraid of persecution. We're not feeling it in the way that Peter's church was, the, the, the church that he wrote this letter to. We're not feeling it that way, but we know it's there. We're afraid of it. We're afraid of what comes with it. And even on a small level right now, we're afraid of, of slander, of insult, of rejection. We're afraid of being ridiculed. We're afraid of isolation, and the list goes on and on and on. But all of these fears are rooted in human fear. It's just human fear. And so were the fears of the people that Peter wrote to in this letter. They were afraid not just of things that might happen or might not happen. They were afraid of things that were happening to them. Real people were causing them real personal harm. Yet Peter states, who is there to harm you? Nobody is the answer to Peter's question, in case you were wondering. Nobody. No one can harm us if we are zealous for what is good. In 1 Peter 3.12, last week, Peter mentioned that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to them with that reality in place. Church, who can harm us? Nobody. Is Peter saying that no physical, emotional, economical harm will come to us? No, he's not. He's making it clear that there is a place of ultimate security, not in the temporal, physical realm. Our security is found in our eternal position in Jesus Christ. Another biblical giant, a man named David, got this concept. Uh, in our elder meeting this week, one of the elders was opening us up with a, a devotional and he pulled this verse out and it fits absolutely perfectly with what we're talking about here. Psalm 4.8, David writes, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. There is a place where no one can harm us. It's where we are held safely in the hands of our Father in our deepest eternal state. Our spirits are held by God and no one can harm us there because we are safe. Only in Him we're safe. If, Peter says, we are zealous for what is good. If we're not, we have a lot to fear. But if we are, there is security that cannot be broken, that cannot be threatened. There is safety that cannot be challenged. God alone can make us safe there. 
And there we have nothing to fear. Nothing. The love of life that Peter just mentioned in his letter includes the aspect of fearless living. It's what he's calling the church to. To live fearlessly. Knowing that our eternal selves cannot be harmed by anyone. If we are zealous for what is good. I want to give you just sort of a visual of this, of what I'm talking about. So that's why this is up here. You're going, was he just tired today? Or... This is my happy place. You have your happy place. I have mine. And I'm just using this as an example. This isn't really, literally my happy place. I don't sit in a dark sanctuary all week and think. My happy place is a comfortable place that is well-worn and very familiar to me, and it's where I spend a lot of my time. And in that place, I feel secure. We feel secure in our little happy places. We have everything that we need. We have comfort. We're sitting in our comfy chair. We have the word of God to us that we open up and get into, and there we find all kinds of things like what we're finding in First Peter right now. There we have just a, a great sense of safety and belonging, and this is good. This is good stuff. We do good things when we open this book and when we put it into action. And there are other things that we have in our happy place. We have our Christian mug. Our Christian mug has a little, little diagram on it of how Jesus came down. That's the arrow. And then he went to the cross, and that's a little cross there. And then there's a, a tomb that looks more like a rainbow. And then there's an arrow going up, and then the last arrow going down, which is he's coming back one day. And so here in our happy place, we have our Christian stuff. It reminds us of who we are and all of the luxuries we have. And over here in our happy place, I have my phone. And on my phone, I have all kinds of good things. I have Bible apps, plural, Bible apps. I have a prayer app. I have contact with the rest of the world. If I forget what justification means, I'll just Google it. It's all right here at my fingertips. My happiness and my safety is right here. And I can get to anything here. I can get to all the people in my life just by pulling up their name and connecting with them on a deep texting level. <laughs> Everything's here. I got it all. I had, what else do I need? I got it all right here. And I feel safe in this place. Am I doing good things? Yes, I'm doing good things here in my happy, safe place. Is this what Peter's talking about? No. Because he says we're to be zealous for what is good, and this is good, the Bible's good, and Christian things are good. I'm not going to knock that. And my phone's not really good, but we'll call it good for now because there are good things that can happen with my phone other than the impact that it has on my emotions when I can't get it to do what I want it to do. There are good things that happen here, but this isn't it. Chapel Hill, we have three values as a church. The first one is growing in Christ. That happens here. There's no question that it happens here. There are good things that happen right here. But we have two more values. The second one is living in love, which I can only do on a superficial level here. And the third one is impacting the world. 
And other than maybe giving online to some charity, I can't really fulfill that here. So am I safe here? No, I'm not. Peter says, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? And what is good means not just staying there but getting out of the chair sometimes and realizing that we are surrounded with opportunity with good opportunity and i don't have to look far to find it there's my family i can do what is good my church is here i can do what is good there's people all around me good people and i can do what is good and there's charity cases like jared And I can do what is good because he's right here. I love you, buddy. We'll work through this later. (laughs) And there's more opportunities to do good. And they're all around us. This place is filled with opportunity to do good. And sometimes I need to work to get to what is good. But it's there. And if I'm out here doing what is good, zealous for what is good, you know what? I'm actually safer here than I was back there. We have to get out of the chair. And it has to start in our heart. There has to be this desire to go after what is good. It's all around us. And, and when we're getting tired... From our zealous nature, from being zealous for what is good, God says, come on back, sit down for a little while. Let's have a huddle. Let me refresh you. Let me fill you. You're safe here. But not just here, you're safe here if you are zealous for what is good. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Let me tell you something. If you spend all your time here, if this is it, if this is the sum total of our Christian life, there are dangers here that we can't see. But I tell you what, apathy opens the door wide. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? If you're going after it, if you're contending for it. Did Christians in Peter's time suffer harm? Absolutely. Peter himself suffered harm. He was imprisoned, he was whipped, Peter was crucified. Peter was not wrong in saying that there was no one that could harm him. There was no one that could harm that church. There is no one that can harm us. And where's Peter now? He's where I pray we will all be soon. Safely in the arms of the only one who could ever keep us truly safe. Years ago, I learned that I could be on the front lines of God's kingdom no matter where that was and be safer 
than I could be anywhere if I was outside of God's will for my life. What is God's will for my life? To be zealous for what is good. What is God's will for your life? To be zealous for what is good. What is God's will for Chapel Hill Church? To be zealous for what is good. Let's make that our goal, church. Each one of us, and us as a church, because who is there to harm us if we are zealous for what is good? I'm going to invite the ushers to come now. We're going to close our service together. Let's pray while they come. Father, I thank you for your promises once again, for your words to us. And I love the fact that you want us to love life and to see good days, that you want us to live fearlessly. Because you know that any harm that can come to us is only temporal, it's only physical, it's only earthly, it's only for now. Ultimately, we, as spirits created in your image, cannot be harmed, cannot be harmed on an eternal level if we are zealous for what is good. Because if we stop and think about the the reality of being created in your image, how can we deny the fact that you are zealous for what is good? You've made us to be like you. To be zealous for what is good. Father, teach us to see the whole picture. Teach us to see beyond the good things but to see a bigger picture a picture that goes beyond us beyond what comes to us into the realm of us giving to others what is good zealously pursuing contending for the opportunities that you have put before us in this world They're all around us, God. We know that. Give us the courage to go after them with everything we've got. Thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for caring enough about us to leave us a letter. Help us to find our purpose there. And strike in us a fire Fire that needs to that we need to drive us to the point of being zealous for what is good. We love you, Father. We love what you offer us. We love the safety that we find only in you. Thank you for giving us that, for calling us your children, for making us a people for your own possession, to be zealous for what is good. Keep shaping us. Keep growing us. In Jesus' name, amen.